0: Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. Uh, my name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've uh, chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can have subscribed to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now.
1: John chapter 14, and we're reading verses one to seven tonight. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him.
2: So good, what an awesome testimony, hey? It's a shame you can't be with us tonight. If you're watching online, Jaden, thank you for sharing with us Uh, there in ISO as well, like many of of our family here um, at Whitehill. Can I get some house lights? I just see black shadows, so that would be awesome. Thank you. yeah, if we haven't met before, my name's Brad, I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill. It's um, a joy to be sharing with you tonight, and um, a little bit to get to know me is that I think, well, I'd like to think um, that I'm quite a rational person, right? I'm quite a, a thought through, I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs, if that means anything to you. Um, I think I'm quite calm and logical, um, which is weird because then there's moments that I look back on and go, like, what happened there? Like... I don't know if it's like a brain issue or a blockage, or whatever happens, but I have these moments where all of a sudden I'm not processing or thinking like I usually do, like, you know, internally process. What is this going to look like? How's it all going to work? And then finally act on it and already know what the outcome's going to be. But there's moments where that completely breaks down. Um, I thought of one as well that, uh, this is sort of incriminating of myself here uh, tonight. So I don't don't suggest this, I don't recommend this to any of you young people in the room. This is terrible behaviour. But when I first got my license, I was driving late at night down the middle of the highway and I thought, I wonder how far I can drive with my eyes closed. <laughs> so <laughs> so I was there in the center of the highway. I thought, you know, there's no cars, it's three lanes. I've got all the space in the world. I'll go right into the middle one and I'll hold the steering wheel, look ahead and then go and just hang on. And I did pretty well, but when I opened my eyes, I was in the emergency lane like this far from the barrier. (laughs) So that didn't go super well. It's just weird things like you just get this desire or this urge come over you like, bang, I know what I need to do. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I've got to do it regardless of how dumb or meaningless it is. I had another one when I was younger as well. Um, Maybe this is where it all started for me, but my parents had gone out and we had just been unpacking boxes and there was a massive pile of uh, bubble wrap in the corner of the room Um, and I was just by myself and I was looking at this pile of bubble wrap going, what can I do with this? This It's kind of boring just to pop it and then my eyes sort of glazed across and I saw the swimming pool out the window. I was like, there's an idea. I'm going to wrap myself up in the bubble wrap like a burrito and see if I can float in the pool. (laughs) So I started at the ankles with some box tape and some bubble wrap, and I made sure it was really tight, really, so I couldn't move at all. Started as tight as I could around the ankles, got higher and higher up, and as you can imagine, me trying to do it myself didn't really work on the top half, so the bottom half of me just got, you know, wider and wider and wider, and eventually, once I felt like I was constricted enough, I started the shuffle towards the edge of the pool, and just before I got there, uh, my sister fortunately comes out of her bedroom and goes, what are you doing, you idiot? Like, that's the worst idea you've ever had. Um, and she wisely commented as well that because my lower half was probably gonna be so buoyant, I'd sort of like iceberg, like butt up, head down, and go under, but then also not have the legs to... it idea. I don't know what happens in those moments, but the two questions that were not asked in either of those cases were why and what then? Like, why do it? What's the point of doing it? What are you going to achieve from it? And then, what then? Like, especially with the pool, like, what am I even if it worked, I would have been stuck in the water with no one to be able to pull me out and no way to swim or kick towards the edge of the water. Why and what then? And they're two questions that we fail to ask ourselves just in uh, the more meaningful things of life and the bigger questions of life and work and relationships. Why and what then? Do we ask ourselves those in the chaos and the moving tides of life? Why are we doing? What are we doing? And why do we think that what we're doing is going to provide us with the best life that is available to us or provide us with fulfillment? And then what? When we finish, when we graduate, when we retire, when we achieve what we set out to achieve or buy what we so desperately wanted to buy, will that feeling of fulfillment last for more than a moment? Or will it just fade away before us, causing us just to want and to work even more? This last question we have here in our life series is do you feel fulfilled? And it's one of these why and what then questions. And it's a question you may not have considered before. It's a question you may have come here tonight specifically to seek answers to. But I'm gonna suggest that many of us probably haven't sat down and reflected and thought hard enough about this question. And I want to suggest that maybe some of us here are living full lives that are unfulfilled. Very full and busy and a lot going on, but very unfulfilling. And the Bible uses the language of chasing after the wind. We read about King Solomon in the Old Testament, and this guy had everything. Like in terms of wealth and possessions, experiences, relationships, he lacked nothing in the physical world. He had achieved everything he was the greatest leader of the time. But then at the end of his life, he has this realisation, and he writes down in Ecclesiastes two seventeen. He says this, he said, I hated life. That's pretty strong language to somebody who seemed to have it all. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And I think there's probably a lot of us here today who are frantically searching for fulfillment from accumulation and accomplishment, but still yet to find it. But what you probably can attest to is that the pace at which you are trying to find these things or grasp for fulfillment or gratification or satisfaction in these things that aren't able to provide it are actually maybe just leaving you feeling more like this. Feeling restless, not able to stop because you need to be moving at that frantic pace toward that next goal or achievement or project or workaholism, emotional numbness, emptiness because what you're doing is just not providing what you think it's going to provide. Maybe you have sort of lent into these escapist behaviours, experiencing loneliness or just constant exhaustion from this search. And, you know, a quick Google search is going to give us lots of strategies and ideas, and it's all the things that we're told, you know, and all these subliminal messages in society and in advertising. And, you know, I looked up during the week, and it says, you know, just to fix these things and find fulfillment, we need to chase our dreams and never quit. And we need to treat ourselves like royalty or strive to improve every day. Put yourself first or be more disciplined. And, you know, just reading that list makes me feel more exhausted because it all relies on me. And when I mess up, which I will, or when something happens outside of my control, which it will, then all of that falls apart and I'm still yet to find genuine and lasting fulfillment. And that's because the answer to genuine and lasting fulfillment is not one of these strategies, it's not another accomplishment, it's not anything you can accumulate, but it is a person. The answer to genuine and eternal fulfillment is not another strategy, it's a person. And I believe that person's name is Jesus and that he wants to speak with each of us here tonight. And he wants to offer us an invitation into this life of eternal life and fulfillment and life to the full in Jesus. He wants to offer us an out to stop this unrelenting search and just to be found in him. So I just want to invite you in these next few moments just to put away the distractions of your week and of your mind and all the things going on and just to consider the person of Jesus and what it would look like if your fulfillment came from that relationship and not anything else in this world. The passage we read earlier, um, it records an interaction between Jesus and his disciples about 2,000 years ago. So, Jesus, it's towards the end of his life and ministry. He'd been journeying with these guys for almost three years now. And they're sitting around the table, and one of them has actually already left to go and betray Jesus and hand him over to be crucified. But the others remain there, and he's telling them, You know, I'm going to be going away. I'm leaving you guys. And of course, having followed um, their teacher, their rabbi, for so long, they were distraught. They were in distress. They were confused. And he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then gives them this promise. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. So we're going to look at what that means. Why did Jesus choose those three words? So chapter 14 again, verse 5 to 6, says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the first word there he says is I am the way. And just that phrase before he even gets to the, the way, the I am, is really important. He uses it six other times in the Gospel of John. It's used in other places in Scripture as well. And the Greek that's translated into our English, I am, is a go-ami, which is an emphatic way of saying I am. It's like, I am myself, only I, I am. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. I'm not a way, I'm not a good way, I'm not one of the ways or kind of a way. He's like, I am myself, only I am the way because only I am God. He's emphatically and unmistakably revealing himself as God and the only way to God. And the disciples are asking him here about where he's going. And he begins to speak of his Father's house, which we know is this eternal kingdom. And he says that, you know, no one can come to me or come to the Father except through Jesus. Because Jesus is co-eternal with God the Father. He's co-eternal with God the Holy Spirit. The three persons make up the triune God of the universe that we worship, each completely divine. And Jesus is saying that specifically, through his divine presence in this world, that now humanity can be restored back into relationship with the entire triune Godhead. In short, Jesus is God and the only way to God. And for some of you here, maybe you're yet to understand the truth that Jesus actually is God. There's probably not a decent historian who will tell you that Jesus didn't live 2000 years ago and didn't create this incredible movement. But I'm sure there's many of them, and maybe some of you here tonight or online that will attest to the fact that maybe he's not God, he's just, you know, a liar or a lunatic, or maybe he's just a good man or a prophet. But I think the problem is that if we don't recognize Jesus as completely God, and nothing less than that, then we'll never experience him as the way to fulfillment and eternal life. And if he were not God, then obviously he can't even offer us these things either, so how do we know that he is God? How can we be assured of that? It's through his death and resurrection. Jesus rose again like he said he would, so then we can trust everything else that he revealed about himself and about his nature. And we have a lot of evidence for that, that he actually died and rose again. We have biblical and historical evidence. We can trust in the accuracy and the reliability of Scripture because we have you know old archaeological records and even um, ancient war our stories and history that lines up so well with Scripture. We know that it's an accurate document because God is a God of truth and he speaks truth to us through his word. We know that it self-proves in the fulfillment of all these prophecies that are centuries old. So then we can also trust that by the time we get to the New Testament, it says that you know Jesus suffered and was crucified under Pontius Pilate and then resurrected on the third day. We can trust that that is true. And famously, Josephus, a historian, um, he wrote this. He said, on the third day, he appeared to them restored to life. Like, this isn't in the Bible. This is an extra biblical source. He says that he, that he appeared restored to life. For the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians so called after him has still to this day not disappeared So we have biblical and historical evidence and we also have life transformation, right? We can see in the life of his disciples, they've been following him for three years. You know, they love him, they are in relationship with him and then they see him hanging dead on a cross. And in that moment, everything they seemed to have believed is now literally hanging dead on a cross. So they go and they hide, thinking that that would be their end too, that they were gonna be killed and they're locked away in a room When Jesus appears to them and says, look, I am who I said I am. I did what I said I was going to do. I am God. And it completely transformed them. They went from cowardly to courageous and even lost their lives for the sake of making this news known to others. And then just as we heard from Jaden's story, right? God's alive and at work today. And, you know, there's not really any other explainable way of saying somebody who's found wholeness and fullness and fulfillment and joy transforms lives today. So Jesus is God. He reveals himself in this way, and specifically, he reveals himself as the way, because he knows that without him, we are completely lost. Some of the other language the Bible uses to describe the state of humanity is to be lost. Silicon Valley may know geographically where you are every day. They know exactly where you are. But spiritually... You're lost. You're still desperately searching for fulfillment and have become lost along the way, given over to sin, to evil, you're exhausted and confused. Maybe your priorities are all out of order. And even when you have moments of happiness after, you know, seemingly making a right turn, you're going to test the fact that that only lasts for just that, just a moment. Because deep down, you know you've been created for something more and maybe even someone more. Jesus wants to show you that he is the way and that apart from him, you remain lost. And that's, that's a state of being that lasts for an eternity. He says, I'm the way. And he also says, I am the truth. I'm the truth. You know, recently I was away camping and uh, some of you may know where this is going already, but um, a good friend of ours handed me a cattle whip, and I thought, you know what? This is going to be great. I can show all these country boys that I can do this too. I'm going to prove it to myself, prove it to them. It'll be fine. And you know, these guys are swinging it around the heads, cracking it. It's just echoing through the valley. It's beautiful. Ben gives me the whip, tells me, to, <laughs> tells me to, no. I convinced myself I could do this. Um, but some of you may know the shoulder doesn't work so well on this body as well. So it sort of just dislocates when there's strain above my shoulder. So I've got the whip, I've convinced myself this is all going to be great, it's going to work, it's fine. And I start swinging this thing around my head, and I go one, two, and it's looking awesome, and by the third one, bang, my shoulder cracks, comes out of its socket, and the whip does not crack, (laughs) did not go so well. Because no matter how much I convinced myself, in all truth, you know, it's just a light little piece of rope. It's fine. It's not heavy. I'll be sweet. It's okay. No matter how much I convinced myself and believe that I was going to be okay, truth is what hits you when the lies that you tell yourself fall away and just don't work out for you anymore. Because truth is truth. It's unchangeable. It's unchangeable. Yet we live in this world where it seems to be so subjective and individual. Your truth can be different to my truth and your truth can be different to their truth and everyone's truth is individual and unique. And I think the reason we do this is so that we can manipulate truth to sort of best fit ourselves and to give ourselves the best chance at finding meaning and hope and fulfillment in this life. We tell ourselves stories and lies to sort of manufacture this false sense of fulfillment but they never last because eventually truth will hit you like a brick wall. We tell ourselves lies, like, you know, if, if I just change the way that I look, maybe someone will show me or give me the attention or show me the love that my soul so desperately desires. Or maybe if I just change career path or get that raise or finish that degree, now then maybe that feeling of emptiness or sadness will disappear. Or if I just get into that next relationship, then I'm going to get all that affirmation and care that I want. Or maybe it's the fact that you're trying to be the perfect parent. You know, and you've told yourself that I'm going to raise the most overachieving child that you've ever seen. So that maybe someone will finally see me. They'll see me and they'll realize I'm not a failure anymore. But Jesus comes along and he says, you can't just keep... Defining and redefining truth? Because truth is unchangeable and I am the truth, the ultimate source of truth. And I get to define what's true. He says in John 8, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. So there is a truth, a definable truth, and the truth will set you free. So what is that truth that's gonna set us free? It's all that Jesus is and it's all that he has said about us in his word. You know, he says that each and every one of us are a beloved child of God, beloved. That each of us are uniquely and beautifully made and individually gifted. He says that his care and his affection toward you cannot even be measured. He says that he's a God to whom you have nothing to prove because he's already done it all. And he says he's a God to who you have nothing to hide because he already knows it all. And regardless of your circumstance and regardless of your situation or your achievement or your accomplishment or your relationships or your situation, he still loves you unconditionally, irrespectively. He says that nothing you could do could change your worth or your value in his eyes. And nothing apart from a relationship with him is gonna give you a sense of fulfillment. And that's the truth that he speaks over each one of us here, regardless of how far we feel from God, regardless of our previous experiences with church or with faith, or maybe this is the first time you've ever even heard of Jesus. It doesn't matter because Jesus says that you are beloved child of his, and he so desperately wants a relationship with you. That's the truth. He is the truth. And the question is, will you reject him? the one who's given it all for you, who literally poured out his life, poured out his blood on a cross for you. Or you stand up against the lies and the deceptions of this world and reject the lies and trust in Jesus as the truth and then as the life. The last thing he says, I am the life. And I wonder for you tonight, if you can describe you know, your current state of being, your existence, your rhythms, your relationships, your achievements, as experiencing life to the full or abundant life. Because I think the chances are there's many of us listening tonight that have full but unfulfilled lives. And I want to suggest that because I've lived it. You know, all through high school and when I was younger, I had my mindset on one thing. My entire focus, energy, time was given up to this. All I wanted was to become A professional athlete. That's all I wanted. I wanted to be a professional cricketer and that was it. And it consumed, it sacrificed my time, you know, my energy, some of my relationships, even, you know, my soul and my character at many times. And I gave it all up for this one pursuit. And, you know, when I wasn't doing well, it would just make me angry because then I wasn't able to achieve that thing that was going to give me fulfillment. And when I was doing well, it sort of just seemed like the line in the sand kept going further and further away. You know, with every selection or team or tour, whatever it was, it just kept getting pushed further and further and further away. And I just put so much pressure on myself to move through this system as quickly as possible to obtain this goal. But all it left me with was just feeling exhaustion and overwhelmed and unfulfilled. And praise God that at the end of school, he started to work on my life and revealed to me that there was more to my life that he had attended for me, that he wanted to offer me and to give me. Part of this journey as well was a hearing from an ex-professional cricketer, a South African guy called Peter Pollock. He came to speak, and I still don't know how I ended up at this conference, but he came to speak at a school in Brisbane. Um, and I attended, and he, he said this, he said he sacrificed so much and he trained so hard every single day of his life. He gave it all up, he burned relationships, You know, he sacrificed a career and all these things just to become what he had dreamed of being, which is the top in the world, the best in his discipline. And eventually he arrived. He became the best. He was a household name. He achieved all there was to achieve in the sport. But he said this line at the conference, which I'll never forget. He said, when I finally achieved all there was to achieve, there was nothing there. There was nothing there. And he wrote a book about this experience. And um, in a chapter called Solomon's Folly, as in King Solomon, we read about before, he wrote this. He said, We've been sold the great American dream. It's all about being born and educated into and climbing the great ladder of success, fame, and fortune, with the dream that one day, when we reach the top, we will have peace and fulfillment. But it's a lie. A false promise, a deceitful expectation. It doesn't matter how much money we make, how much fame we achieve, we cannot find peace and fulfilment outside of God, because God has set eternity on the hearts of men, and that void, that emptiness, can only be spiritually satisfied, and I've found that to be true. Since giving up cricket, I've had this relationship with God that has offered me fulfillment and hope and joy that can't be taken away because of you know, disaster or injury, it can't be even taken away in my own death. It is secure and eternal and genuine and I'm happier and I'm full of life and I'm secured in my identity regardless of whatever I've managed to achieve in this life because I've found life, life that lasts, that is genuine. I desperately want each of you to experience the same thing here tonight. Jesus is the way to relationship with God. He's the ultimate source of truth. And he alone can put an end to your striving and give you life. We read in John 1 that Jesus was there at creation, divinely involved, literally bringing forth life to this planet and to humanity. And because of that, he can offer you life tonight. He has the authority to do so. He is life. This life that you think may exist at the end of your next project or achievement or holiday, maybe it's not there. And maybe the life that you think you have now that is so good and so full with these awesome relationships and people and work, that is great. But with every breath, it slips further and further out of your grasp. Because true and eternal life only exists in the person of Jesus. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. That's his offer for you tonight. Life to the full. It's an invitation to stop searching and to stop striving. It's an invitation to find freedom and fulfillment that you may have never experienced before. It's an invitation to find life that lasts and it's as easy as accepting Christ's offer of salvation. He's already done the work on the cross for you. You know, Jesus who is fully God enters into humanity. He lives this perfect life that we couldn't live so that then he can die a sacrificial death like an unblemished lamb on the altar. You know, all the things that we do against God, the sin, the evil that we commit against and the things that we don't do against a good and holy God, it needs to be dealt with and for justice to be fulfilled. It can't just be taken away. So either we suffer the consequences on that, we remain in our state of lostness and bear the weight of our own sin for an eternity apart from Christ, or we look to the cross of Jesus and see that actually He has paid the price for us. He took that punishment of sin upon himself, died and then rose again on the third day to conquer death. so that now he can offer you eternal life and life to the full. And you can experience that today. Just by talking to God and saying, you know, I repent of the chasing. I'm done with the search. I'm done with these feelings of emptiness. I'm done with the chasing after the wind. I'm, I'm done with the sin of my life. And I believe in you, God, as my Lord and Savior, the one who can offer me freedom and joy. And I accept that offer. That's such a gracious and merciful offer. Why and what then? Why do you do what you do? And what then? What is it going to leave you with in this life? What is it going to result in? Because I know the why and the what and end of Jesus and what he's offering is far greater than any possible pursuit in this life. So if you want that, I'm going to encourage you to pray with me now and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you, that I've acted in evil ways against a good and right God. And Jesus, I thank you that you took upon yourself the punishment for that sin on the cross. Lord, I see you and acknowledge that you are my Lord and Saviour, that you are the one who can offer me life. And I ask now, Jesus, that you would grant me true and eternal life. And by your Spirit's power, you would help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. If you prayed that with me tonight, can I encourage you? We have a prayer team over in the corner. They would love to pray with you and encourage you. And if you've um, prayed that online as well in our comments section, we have some links there to let us know that you've been watching so that we can encourage you on this journey. And for you, Christian, if you've been sitting here tonight thinking, you know, I've already given my life to Christ. I've already found this fulfilment. I want to encourage you now, just during this last item that has got for us here, just reflect on the words and think, you know what, actually, have I stopped recently to consider, is my fulfillment being found and sourced in Christ alone, or am I trying to seek that in other things? And all of it's leaving me with is that list of symptoms of a life that is unfulfilled. Because Jesus has something better for you so you can rest and relent in all that Christ has done going to pray before we head into that. Jesus, we thank you that you are so good to us, so merciful, so kind and gracious that even in the state of lostness, even in the depths and mud and wallowing on in our sin, that you chose to enter into humanity. You could have remained on your throne in perfect and utter glory, yet you saw us and because your affections are so deep for us and because you loved us so much Jesus, you came and bear the weight of our sin in our place. We thank you that because of that, we can stand here and say, I have found eternal fulfillment in relationship with God that cannot even be taken away in my own death, but a relationship and existence that will last for an eternity. Thank you, Jesus. And I just pray now in this moment, and if you're speaking to us, give us the courage to act on that still, small voice and help us, Jesus, to see those areas where we're searching for fulfillment apart from you. Strip that away from us that we may see you for all of your glory and for all that you are to us, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button And let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.